Coming to you live from Browns headquarters in Berea, Ohio, this is Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Brought to you by Jack, the official entertainment partner of the Cleveland Browns. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura. All right, welcome to Cleveland Browns Daily. I am merely Bo Bishop here in Berea. The Hoff joining from stately Thomas Manor outside of Madison or somewhere in Wisconsin, Mr. Joe Thomas. Joining us. We'll have fun. We're going to get some sous vide. I want to talk about your upcoming trip to Ireland. We're going to do all that stuff. But, buddy, we got to put on our big B hats right out of the gates because we got all sorts of news uh, that we got to get to here, my friend. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Good to be with you on this busy, busy Tuesday here at CBD. I'm excited to step into the big shoes of Nathan Zagura, who's still enjoying a little bit of R&R and some warmer weather down in Mexico. Well, and he may get an extended trip. We don't know if he'll be allowed back in, to be honest. could Maybe not. Let him back Who in. knows? That's just me. You never know. <laughs> you never know. Let's get into the OBM Hot Topics, Ohio Business Machines, preferred copier provider of the Cleveland Browns. of all the X's and O's for your office, call 216-485-2000 or visit ohiobusinessmachines.com. We always call uh, Mr. Thomas, Mr. Hoff. We're going to have to now start calling Mr. Treader El Presidente. As Jason mm. Treader, just in the last five minutes, elected president of the NFLPA. This from Tom Pelissaro on it, Joe. Um, JC's platform didn't focus on his personal views of the proposed CBA that players are voting on. He was reporting. Rather, Treader focused on unity, moving forward either way with a deal through 2030 and the new fight ahead. I cannot think of anyone who is more prepared for something like this than JC. I love this fit uh, of him doing this um, in, in terms of the challenge for him and representing the NFL players, which is, as you know, is a very complicated thing to do. Uh, to me, this seems like a perfect fit, sir. Yeah, JC's absolutely the perfect guy for the players union. They should feel very excited about having a guy like JC. He continues in the long line of offensive linemen serving as NFL PA president back to my time when Kevin Mawai was the president and Way before him, Gene Upshaw, uh, he was actually the executive director for many years, um, including when I was a rookie. He was a Hall of Fame offensive lineman in the NFL, so kind of following the footsteps of many great offensive linemen before him. But even more than that, J.C. is a very smart guy, as we all know, around Cleveland, being a Cornell grad. But his major, correct me if I'm wrong, Bo, was labor relations, which huh, just so happens to be exactly <laughs> what – the job of NFL PA president is. And <laughs> I think he did a great job from what I've heard with his yeah. message. It wasn't, Hey, vote for me because I'm against the CBA or vote for me because I'm for the CBA. It's vote for me because I understand the importance of unity moving forward. And I feel like I can help educate the most number of players to vote what's best for us as a group, not necessarily what's best for us individually, because from a player standpoint, and as most unions go, the strength of the union is the collective and is the ability to keep everybody together with a common thread and a message that that is the best way to negotiate. And that's what the owners are able to do because there's only 32 of them versus over 2,000 of the players. And so I think JC had a great message and he's the right man for the job. Players should feel very good about him as their president. Yeah, Joe, I think that the the memorandum he put out last week of hey, this is what you need to know about this thing. This is what's in it. It was put out in a very straightforward way, a very simple way, straightforward to the point. Here's what's in this thing. Just educate yourself before you vote. I think that's when the momentum really started to move for him. 
Um, and, and, and I heard a lot of players say that it was very helpful for them. I've seen it on social and so forth, that that was very helpful to him, them to just to know kind of, because apparently uh, up until that point, the union hadn't put anything out that said like, hey, here's what's in this thing. And it's 40,000 pages, right? So like... <laughs> You know, like they need, they need, you need a, give me a cliff notes version. What's, what's in this thing? What do I need to pay attention to? None of these things are easy reads. You've probably read these before. Um, these aren't easy reads. And so for him to be able to do that, I think really added to his momentum and candidacy. Yeah. And I think the most important job really of, of your president is being sort of the communicator and the voice from the executive committee and the executive director to the rank and file players who are the ones that are going to vote this thing up or down. Um, and, having as much education as possible from the players through the executive committee and through the president is important. And I think JC is the right guy to sort of make that clear and concise because it can be extremely confusing. I mean, like you said, I don't know if anybody has read all 40,000 pages, even the attorneys for both sides that have been working on this for years, because it's just so there's so many things to digest. And so to have a guy like JC who can do a good job of sort of educating you as best as he possibly can is really important. Incredible challenges with that job, Joe. You mentioned it. You hit it on the head, buddy. When you're talking about 32 owners, pretty easy to get 32 or relatively easy to get 32 people on the same page. But when you think of the socioeconomic challenges of the top of the NFL to the bottom from the, re- representing former players um, in, you know, in post-career uh, medical uh, needs, all of the needs of it, it's an incredibly challenging job. And I, I, think, I think the NFLPA has probably the hardest job of all of the pro sports unions just because of the wide discrepancy uh, of, the, of the people who play the game for the length that they play it and for the monetary gain that they have while playing it. Absolutely. And that's been really the biggest weakness of the NFL players union is the fact that the NFLPA and the NFL group of players is made up primarily of young you know, first, second, third year guys and minimum salary guys. And those would be the guys that would be most affected by a work stoppage. So they're consequently the ones that are most vulnerable to be leveraged uh, by ownership to when the ownership threatens a work stoppage, like they did several years ago with the last CBA. And so um, to be able to kind of hold those guys together and say, Hey, it's okay. We're willing to miss games because these issues are important to us that really perks up the ears of ownership when you have that collective and you have those guys that are working together. Um, and it is, it is a really difficult task because like you mentioned, the NFL has a very, very broad base of players from guys like Aaron Rodgers who are in their late thirties, who've made hundreds of millions of dollars to guys that are rookies that are just hoping to make enough money to make it through the season and be able to pay their rent and be able to pay their car payment. So um, you've got so many different needs and interests to be able to come up with a CBA, a contract with the owners that everybody is happy with is a very difficult task. Whereas if you're an owner, you know, for the most part, your economic situation is pretty similar. You know, most of those guys uh, are billionaires because these NFL franchises are all worth well over one, two, three billion dollars. Um, yeah. And so for the most part, th- their interests are aligned, whereas players, it's not that easy. No, it's not. We have big personnel news with Kirko. We're going to get to in a second uh, and, and, and get your thoughts on that because obviously that's a big move from the organization today. Uh, but while we're on the subject of CBA, let's tie that up and kind of wrap that up uh, with, with JC becoming the president of the NFLPA, Joe. And some of the changes uh, in the last 24 hours or so, the deadline 
to vote on the new CBA was Thursday at 11.59. It was moved to Saturday at 11.59. And then Monday at 11.59, the deadline to apply franchise or transition tags, and that matters because it depends under which CBA we're working under. Then the legal tampering window will open Monday at noon, and then Wednesday at 4, free agency begins uh, and the players have, have been at, some have asked if they can change their votes, and the answer is no, they cannot. What do you make of the last 24 hours in the CBA stuff? And, Joe, beyond that, next Monday is going to be nuts. It is going to be absolutely bonkers with all this stuff. Yeah, who, who said the offseason was boring? Not so fast, Man. my friend. we got a lot of things going on right now. Obviously, the CBA is dominating headlines right now, but that's just because on our horizon here is an incredibly busy uh, week for the NFL and for different teams because now free agency technically begins Wednesday, but we know very well that Monday morning all those big guys are going to be rolling out in the news with their new contracts that they've signed or at least intend to sign when the when the uh, free agent free agency period begins. Um, so you can expect for Browns fans that I, I imagine they're going to make a couple splashes and we'll hear about it on Monday. Well, it may not be official official. They are going to have contracts agreed to on Monday, and things are going to ramp up extremely quickly because, as everybody knows, the combine really is the time when agents and teams really start to kind of whisper to each other about their interests and intentions and potential contracts. And so uh, at this point, I think players and their agents kind of have a pretty good idea of the few teams they're going to be looking at. And then Monday is really when the news starts breaking. Yeah, it's going to be next week's going to be wild, man. You're talking about three days yeah. and the names that are going to fall, and uh, it's going to it's going to be an avalanche, um, an, an emotional day for us in the building today as we've released linebacker Christian Kirksey, uh, captain of this team, of course, former third round pick out of Iowa, one of the longest tenured players on the team, uh, the originator of Dog Check, um, mm-hmm. and just an awesome guy around the building. This from Andrew Barry, our vice president of football ops and our general manager. Christian Kirksey has been a vital member of our organization for the last six seasons because of his contributions on and off the field. He's been a strong leader both in our locker room and in the Cleveland community. There, These are difficult decisions and in Christian's case more challenging because of how well he has represented our team. We thank him for for his dedication and wish him nothing best, nothing but the best in the next phase of his career. Last couple of years, obviously, Kirko had a tough time staying healthy. Kirko went on social media and tweeted, forever grateful. Thank you, Cleveland, for the amazing years. Thank you to the entire organization, my teammates, the Haslam's, for giving me an opportunity of a lifetime. And most of all, you, the city of Cleveland, for accepting me as their own forever love, Kirko Land. Out. You obviously played with Kirko. Joe, your thoughts on the move today? Yeah, I think it was a move that a lot of people kind of expected. You know, as everybody knows, as you get older in the NFL, uh, you get a little bit more banged up, even if you're maybe not necessarily missing a lot of games. And when you bring in a new regime, uh, typically they're going to be looking at maybe where we can turn things over and make them younger. And uh, unfortunately for Kirko, he was part of the youth movement, um, a guy that was only able to start nine games in the last couple of years because of injuries, um, but he played extremely hard. He was a tremendous talent for the Browns for a long time, and he was really the emotional leader on that defense for a very, very long time. And so I think even though Kirko will not be on the roster moving forward, you just hope that the passion and the work ethic and the dedication and the professionalism planted a seed in that defensive locker room, and the guys saw how Kirko went about his business and that now that, that there's a void right there in the leadership and then the veteran part of that defensive room 
somebody that saw Kirko and that had a lot of respect for him will be able to step up and kind of embrace that role and take over. Um, and so the seeds that he planted will hopefully be in Cleveland for many years. Yeah, Joe, I, and I, now now that this is the case, and you mentioned it with how busy we're going to have to be in free agency, um, you know, it's it's Sheldrick, Redwine, and Hassel at safety, and that's it. At linebacker, it's Mac Wilson and Sione Takitaki, Willie Harvey, Tay Davis there as well, but uh, the two rookies from a year ago would be the front headliners of that class, so you're going to have to address linebacker to a certain degree. you got to address safety to a certain degree. You've seen the reports on Olivier Vernon, so that would be opposite defensive end of Miles. You're going to have to address that. We know how the team finished the year in terms of lack of depth on the defensive line, so you're going to have to address that. And, of course, the tackle position, where I think you want two um, you know, Hub can would be that swing guy, but I think you need two tackles uh, as well. So um, this for Andrew Barry, Kevin Stefanski, Paul De Podesta, next week is going to be awfully busy, um, and and there are a lot of things that need filled, my friend. Yeah, there's a lot of positions. Obviously, we know that uh, we kind of expect offensive line to be that first position that gets filled, but right after that, you're going to have to start looking at linebacker. That's not a position that teams typically value as much as they used to but certainly when the first two guys that you have on your roster are are relatively young with a little bit of experience you're going to want to try to maybe add some veteran depth and maybe even add somebody in the draft Um, the good news is there is a lot of potential in this year's NFL draft and so you will be able to kind of fill out that roster a little bit with the draft but before the draft is free agency and there's a reason that that happens that way so uh, I think Andrew Barry has been very smart kind of you know holding his cards a little bit close to his chest but I think he is going to dip into the free agency market I'm not sure if he's going to make a day one huge splash at the linebacker position but that's typically a position where you can add veteran depth at a reasonable cost and a reasonable value Um, so I I wouldn't be surprised if they did something there within that first week Um, but but a lot of positions to add to you know and I think this is the time of year where you start kind of building a little bit of extra depth in different places and kind of set yourself up for where you're slotted in that draft so that you can go out with your first and your second round picks and hit a home run and really finish out your starters on that uh, uh, roster. When you think about last year's team defensively, Joe, and you mentioned it with Kirko in terms of the guys who were the most vocal leaders Kirko would have beat would be there absolutely I think Sheldon Richardson was it absolutely Demarius Randall was it absolutely of those three I think probably on, only Sheldon will be back um, and then Joe Schobert who just showed up and played always um, and it that seems up in the air whether he'll be back so you're right when you talk about you know who's going to hopefully people paid attention you know we know Mac Wilson paid close attention to all of that um, but and he was great. Is he ready for if it, if it is him manning all of those duties in terms of being leader, calling the defense? Is he ready for that challenge? We tend to think that he is. We love what we saw, but it's a lot on a second year player. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think back to early on in my career, and it was everything I could do to remember the play and the snap count. And then to try to add being the leader on top of that, it's really a difficult task because if you want to be a good leader like Kirko was, you've got to know not only every single little detail about what you're doing, but you got to know every single detail about everybody else around you on that whole defense or that whole offense and what they're doing, because you need to be the one that everyone looks to when somebody screws up, you're going to call them out, right? Obviously the coaches are, are part of that, but 
if you want to be that great captain and that great leader, you have got to be on top of every single player. When they do something bad, you jump on them immediately. And when they do something good, you praise them immediately. And the guys, they see that, they respect that. And then that earns you respect within the locker room. And for a second year guy, I guarantee Mac is still going to be trying to figure out what he's doing, uh, much less what everyone else is doing. And so that is a lot on this plate. So that's why I kind of wouldn't be surprised if uh, Andrew Barry does decide to kind of fill that veteran void at the linebacker position with one of these guys out there on the free agency market. Lots to get to on the program today. Just getting started. A little factor fiction coming up later in the show. We will go around the league as well. Six is getting a statue in Norman. We will get into that. Plus, Kurt Warner with some interesting comments to us at the Combine that I want to put to Joe to see his reaction to them because I'm, I'm curious uh, if he would have similar interests. But coming up next, uh, obviously the coronavirus creating a lot of havoc. Um, the NFL has responded to it. There have been some cancellations. Uh, we'll get Joe's thoughts on some of this as well. We do it all next, off and running on a Tuesday. Cleveland Browns Daily, 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Hey friends, Bo Bishop here for Weather Seal Home Services. Metal roofs, the new buzz in residential roofing, metal roofing technology, the materials, the styles, the colors, they've improved significantly. Now, metal roof costs have come way down. In fact, right now till the end of the month, March 31st, save 35% on a new metal roof from Weather Seal. Remember, Weather Seal is the exclusive home of seven-year zero interest financing. You don't pay a dime until 2027. Call 877-351-SEAL, that's 877-351-SEAL, or visit them online at weathersealhomeservices.com to learn more. Remember, guys, 35% metal roof discount. It ends at the end of the month, March 31st. Take advantage now. Prior sales are excluded. Call 877-351-SEAL, that's 877-351-SEAL, or visit them online at weathersealhomeservices.com. So, Joe, from... Let's get people up to date on where we are with these with the cancellations in the sports world. Um, I don't know if you saw the uh, the video from Jurgen Klopp, the uh, manager of the Liverpool team, about uh, someone asked him last week about you know coronavirus. And look, why are you asking? I'm a I'm a manager of a soccer team. I don't know anything about it. Ask somebody who knows something about it. Uh, which that's been my take on this thing a little bit. Like I'm some dope on the radio. I don't know anything <laughs> about you know what if it's safe to take your kids right. to school. I yeah, I don't know, I don't know anything about it. Uh, what I can tell you, though, and I think the, the reason that we're talking about it here is this has crossed over now into the sports world quite a bit. And the NFL put out a statement this morning that the league meetings and the draft plans remain in place as scheduled. Um, of course, this could change in an hour. Um, it, it could change that quickly because that's how all these things are going. In terms of today alone, this in, this two minutes ago, Harvard tells students to move out and finish classes remotely after they after they return for spring break for the semester. So that's a pretty big deal there with Harvard doing that. The Ivy League has canceled its postseason basketball tournament. Uh, yesterday, Ohio State canceled in-class classes, so they're going to do them all 
online. Uh, the governor of Ohio, Mike DeWine, declared a state of emergency in Ohio. Um, the Connecticut high school basketball tournament was completely canceled. They've canceled that. Um, and in the other pro sports that are all ongoing right now, Major League Soccer, although the crew are going to play this weekend, um, the NHL, MLB, NBA, they're all doing no media in the locker room, only in the uh, in they'll take him out of the locker room and there will be a certain amount of space between media and players um, going forward on that front. So those are the most up-to-date updates on this thing, Joe. And just, buddy, the way that this has escalated in the last 24, 48 hours leads me to believe that, that we will be seeing March Madness in empty gyms. I mean, I think that's probably the next step on this thing. And, of course, we have a regional here in two weeks. Uh, here in Cleveland, um, from your vantage point and talking to the people you're talking to, where do you see this thing going, and and where do you, how much do you see it affecting the way we take in our sports? Yeah, well, I think it's definitely going to be affecting us over here in America and how we consume our sports because there is, uh, you know, a little bit of panic out there right now. Obviously, we want to try to limit and minimize the spread of this thing as much as possible, and large gatherings are obviously a way that that could really spread. Um, and so I think by and large, everybody's being cautious, but prudent with the steps that they're making, but boy, it would sure look strange to start watching those NCAA tournament games and seeing no audience there to watch no fans. If the NBA starts playing games with no fans, I mean, I guess I just don't even know what that would feel like, what that would look like. I think basketball would probably be a little bit easier to play in front of no fans, because they're used to sometimes playing games that maybe don't have an electric audience or maybe it's not a full house, but I'm just thinking fast forward to the fall. And I don't think this is going to be affecting the football season, but can you imagine what it would look like if you had to play an NFL game in in a big stadium like that empty in front of zero fans? It's just a bizarro kind of world we're living in. Cause I think back to the SARS and some of the uh, other disease sort of outbreaks that we've had here, uh, in the world, and nothing can ca- even came close to what we're dealing with here as far as the large-scale stop of daily life, and uh, especially in the sports world. No, no. I mean, it, there was, there's there been isolated incidences. Uh, we know in Italy now they're playing soccer to empty houses. Um, there was a um, an SEC basketball tournament some years ago where Georgia won it. They played the tournament uh, in Atlanta, and they there were tornadoes in Atlanta, and so they they played to empty houses. So there's some precedent for that. But you're right, football would be, um, uh, and, and I'm with you. I don't think it's something that we're going to have to deal with. I do think your the NFL draft is going to be different uh, because mm-hmm. that's quickly, you know, that's yeah. a little month and a half, something like that, month and a couple of weeks. So yeah, um, I do think that will be different. For that. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. It's in Las Vegas, and and that yeah. would be. You know, that would be a very big deal, obviously, but I think the tenor of that will be very different. And um, I just think the way that it's trending, it's we're headed to this point um, and you're going to have to start making decisions really quickly. Like the Big Ten basketball tournament is in Indianapolis. It starts tomorrow. The MAC tournaments here in Cleveland. Gibby, does it start tomorrow? The first rounds tomorrow. They go Thursday. Uh, the women start tomorrow. The women quarterfinals are here. So, I mean, everybody's in Cleveland this afternoon. Yeah. Yeah, so right now, Joe, it seems like everyone's going ahead this weekend. But, but again, as soon as you commit to something, just give it a day, and it all changes, and it changes pretty quickly. LeBron said something uh, over the weekend and when he said, you know, if, if, they, if we're going to play without crowds and I don't want to play because I play for the fans. Joe, I took that as LeBron, you know, basically 
getting favor with the fans saying this is why I do it. Not that he needs it. I don't. Mm-hmm. If he was ordered to play, I think he would play. I don't think he's going to not play. If the NBA says, "Hey, we're playing," we got television sponsors, we got television rights that we've we've to do. They pay us a lot of money. We're going to play games. We're going to do it in front of empty stadiums. I don't think he's going to sit it out. The games will still count. So I didn't take it literal. But as an athlete who played at the level you played at, if you were in the position of an NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL player, and this is the decision of the league, I would think that would be a tremendous adjustment for a player. Yeah, a little bit of grandstanding there by uh, Mr. Yeah. LeBron James. And I understand it, right? He's trying to uh, influence the decision makers a little bit because he's got an enormous amount of power and sway in the NBA. And he wants to have fans there, obviously. But, you know, I think if the NBA decides, look, this is what's in the best interest of our players and our fans and our country, then there is a really good reason to not allow fans in the game. And and let's be honest, you know, I think there is an argument that can be made to LeBron directly and all those players like, look, these fans, they still want to see you. They're just going to be watching at home instead of be sitting in the seats. Now it might be a little bit more difficult for you to get excited and get juiced for a game in front of zero fans where you're used to playing in front of a packed arena every single night. Um, But I think the the argument and, and the conversation they'd have with LeBron at that point is, hey, yeah, you can still play in front of your fans, but they're just going to be watching safely from home rather than sitting in their seats that you're used to seeing. And so not playing the games would be even worse because we, we, we can't allow 20,000 people into an arena and keep spreading this thing, especially if the disease specialists that – that's all they do is study the spread and, and the risks of spreading these type of diseases. If they say, look, it is just not prudent to bring a bunch of people into a stadium every single night or an arena and put them into close contact because this thing is spreading. And if we don't shut down these games, you can see how incrementally this thing is going to grow. But if we're able to shut down all these large gatherings, we think we can stamp it out in a month or whatever it is. I think that uh, those players will be easily uh, – easily persuaded to continue playing the games even without fans yeah south korea pretty much has done the model job of this they had a bunch of cases early and it's basically plateaued and now they're shrinking um and and that was their approach to it uh the ncaa joe with just a statement in the last couple of minutes that as of and again i mean i feel i have to keep saying this as of right now the plan is to play the tournament as as scheduled that play Mm -hmm. it fans the whole bit but again this a lot can change in a week Right. I mean, Italy went from 600 cases a week ago to the whole country shut down in a week. So a lot can change. And it's going to be a very fluid situation. We're lucky in that we uh, make make our bones talking about the National Football League and we're out of season at the moment. So in terms of how it affects our games, it, I'm with you. It won't. Uh, I'd be shocked if we have a much bigger problem if it does. Um, but I do think the draft has a chance. And I, I think when you think about, you know, college spring games, you know, in Madison or Columbus, those things would be affected, I would think, by this over the course of the next couple of weeks as we're just starting to still in the, in the fact-finding stages. So that's where we stand uh, at this point. Coming up next, we go around the league. All sorts of topics to get into there, including the Hall of Fame game date is set and what this schedule could mean for us. We get into that coming up next. You're listening to CBD on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. If your Social Security benefits have been denied, call the disability lawyers at 1-800-ELK-OHIO. Elk and Elk is a proud partner of your Cleveland Browns. 
Go Browns as we go around the league. Presented by Jack Bo Bishop here. The Hoff Joe Thomas joining me from Stately Thomas Estate outside of the Madison area somewhere. Undisclosed location. The Hall of Fame game is set, Mr. Hoff. Cowboys and Steelers will kick off the 2020 season Thursday, August 6th, 8 p.m. in Canton. I love the look of that matchup. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Classic NFL battle right there, Dallas-Pittsburgh. Although it's hard to get excited a little bit about the Hall of Fame game. The Hall of Fame weekend is always really exciting, and uh, they always do a good job of getting a couple teams that are inducting a few candidates this year to really get things excited. And uh, hopefully those folks that are coming in from Dallas and Pittsburgh can enjoy the Mission Barbecue in Canton, Ohio, one of the best-performing Mission Barbecues in the Mission franchise. So uh, a lot to look forward to. Dynamite drop in out of you. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people look forward in. to that weekend. That is, yeah, that is. Um, I was going to ask, um, do you think that the NFL ought to do something with that date to make that game a little better? There was a time, Joe, and I, I don't know if it was even during your career, but there was a time 15, 20 years ago where at least you would get a starter for a series or two. Mm-hmm. Now none of them even put on a cap. I mean, put on a helmet. I mean, none of the starters in that Hall of Fame game. It's all twos and threes immediately, and even the twos are out quick. Uh, it's mostly the last 30, 40 guys on the roster is is the way that that game is played. Do you think that game deserves more? Well, it would be nice if you got to see the stars a little bit longer, but uh, I think early on in my career that was a game where guys would play maybe a series or two uh, that are the starters, um, but because of the length of the preseason, and I think – Part of it, too, is just the way that guys work and prepare in the offseason. They just don't need these long training camps as much. And, and I think the coaches started realizing that there was not as much benefit as there was risk when you're playing all of these preseason games. And so that's part of the reason that in this latest CBA, they're talking about reducing the number of preseason games from four to three. Um, I, I would love to see the Hall of Fame game mean a little bit more. I'm just not sure how you can do that, how you could convince teams to go risk their starters in a, in a game when you already have several of those uh, slated to get ready for the season. And even some of the later preseason games, you're seeing teams like the Los oh, Angeles yeah. Rams, they don't even play their starters at all in the preseason anymore. Yeah, I mean, we're trending towards that. It's certainly where we're headed, and I think it's part of this 17th game idea is, you know, Play it if you're not going to play them in the preseason. We'll get another regular season game out of them. Is the idea with it? It does add to something that Peter King mentioned uh, a note from a couple of weeks ago about the idea of us and the Eagles on Thursday night because we have the two inductions this year. We've got the Veterans Committee that comes in in early September in the second part of this year's class, um, and obviously we have a player in that and Carmichael in there for the for the Eagles, um, and that is a matchup that has to take place anyway. The way I understand that game would be in Cleveland. We would not play that game. I, there's no way you'd give up a home game. No. But I do like the idea of the second one involving us and the Eagles. I think that'd be fun symmetry as well. Yeah, I think that'd be a great game. Uh, being a Thursday night game, it'd be one of the games I get to travel to, do the pregame and the postgame. And I always like those Browns games on Thursday night a little earlier in the schedule. Those night mm-hmm. games in September are uh, pretty comfortable in uh, First Energy Stadium <laughs> versus when we get them in mid to late November and we're just praying for 30-degree weather. So uh, a great opportunity early in the season when fans just are salivating for more football and being that Thursday night game when you're the only game being played that night 
Uh, I think the platform for the Browns to kind of go out and show that this is a new team with a little bit different roster, a new coaching staff, and a new style would just be a fantastic way for them to welcome sort of a new look to the NFL, and uh, that would be a great night to do it. Other news around the league. Marshall Yander retires from the NFL from the Ravens, one of the very best in the business. Joe, I saw a stat on him that was remarkable. 13 years, I believe, in the league. He gave up a total of 20 sacks, and three of them occurred in his rookie year when he was forced to play right tackle uh, as a substitute. That's pretty dominant. He was an incredibly dominant player. He came in in the same draft class as I did. Uh, A small-town kid from Iowa played for the Iowa Hawkeyes and really just made his career on toughness and dedication and attention to the details. He's an old school offensive guard. You know, he's, he's one of those guys that you think about when you think of like the Alan Fanica's and uh, the Larry Allen's, the guys that just were great. They were tough. They were maulers and they wanted to just put a hole through your chest. Every time they saw you, they were going to try to punch holes in your chest and, our defensive linemen did not like to see those type of guys. So hats off to Marshall for an incredible career. I think that's one that's going to end up in the Hall of Fame someday. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it was when you when you start to look at the resume, it's a that seems like a no brainer uh, that he would get to the Hoff. Um, this news coming out in the last day or so, Mister Hoff, in, in respect to Tom Brady, that he is opening a production. Uh, company that's going to do documentaries and film and television work, among other things. And I had thought about this. I can't remember if this was with you last week or earlier this week, maybe with John Greco. I can't remember. Uh, but I, I mentioned, would it surprise you at all if Brady was filming this whole thing for a documentary? Um, and I, I kind of still think that's what this is going to be. And with all the betting, continue to push him back to New England. Uh, that's the heavy favorite. To me, I, I feel like this is all kind of adding up a little bit. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, and and I think you know the the what was it, time Father Time versus Tom documentary that yep. he had on Facebook a few years ago. You could definitely tell that that's kind of what he's interested in. I don't really see him being a guy like a Tony Romo that's going to want to go into the football media side of things, but I definitely think he's a guy that is going to want to go into the Hollywood side of things, and so doing a documentary kind of on his last few years in the NFL and this process that he's going through in free agency, it makes a lot of sense. And he's a guy that's always done a great job kind of holding his cards close to his chest. He doesn't want to give up information on always what's going on until maybe the last possible minute. And who knows, maybe he does end up back in New England and he's been kind of filming the whole thing for a very interesting behind-the-scenes documentary. I certainly would watch it. Yeah, I mean, me too. And the idea, I mean, think about it. He was at like a some random Syracuse basketball game with Jimmy Fallon, and, and they were FaceTiming Vrabel. Like, if it, I mean, it just seems like it was made to create buzz, you know? Yeah. Just seems like it all adds up. A um, lot of buzz around the Tony Romo contract. Looks like you picked the right time to get into TV, my friend. Romo, $17 million a year uh, for CBS. To me, CBS was in a position, Joe, they had to do this. They're losing SEC football. Um, the faces of that network at one time, it was Cronkite or rather or whoever was the star of Dallas. Now it's who's hosting. It's Jim Nance and Tony Romo. They're the most highly rated guys on their network on a weekend, week out basis. And they're the face of the network. I have no issue with, with Tony making this, this type of cash. And I don't have any trouble with anybody getting whatever someone's willing to pay them. Um, but I think it does speak to um, the importance of the sports side of things from an announcing standpoint, because as we move in our, in the entertainment industry, and you start to think about things that are non DVRable, non on demand, it's pro sports. 
So if you're getting into the television business now, it's a perfect time to get it. Sports rights are going to continue to go up and up. I, yesterday we talked about the PGA Tour rights. Joe, I don't know if you saw it, jumped 70%. Um, and that's the PGA Tour where the ratings are going down as opposed to ascending and where their number one star is in his mid-40s. Um, so if you think about what the NFL's deal is going to be in, a, you know, in 2022 and that gets done, it's just going to be more and more. And the faces and networks are these guys. Tony making 17, good for him. And, and now there's holes to fill across the board in terms of finding a voice on Monday Night Football. I'd love to see you do that. Uh, I don't know if you're interested in it, but I'd love to see you do it. Um, but, but this is now become an ultra-competitive business because it's more than just some guy calling the games. You're the face of a network. Yeah, you're absolutely right because right now you mentioned it. With DVR, the only thing you can't DVR and enjoy just as much the next day as when it's happening live is sports. And football, it's the king right now. Pro football is the king of kings. And so you, as a, a network, if you've got a guy like Tony Romo, you cannot let him jump ship and go work for Monday Night Football or somebody else because he is not only the face of your uh, football, but he's the face of your network. And there's a lot of players and a lot of people that were poo-pooing this contract when it came out, I think largely because of jealousy. But for NBC, this is worth it. I mean, think about all the buzz that Tony Romo has generated for NBC in the last few years since he's been doing games. It's incredible. And I think you compare and contrast that with what's happened with Monday night football and how the ratings have just completely tanked. Now, some of it is because the matchups haven't been as good, but when you have a marquee announcer, when you have a guy like a Tony Romo and a Jim Nance or an Al Michaels, a Chris Collinsworth, like people may not be tuning in specifically to listen to those guys, but when you hear their voice, as soon as you do turn it on, you realize that this is a big game. And, th and that's what happens yeah. when you turn it on and you hear those guys. And that's the value that they bring to these networks. And that's why you can't let somebody like that go because I think everybody's seen what happened with Monday Night Football and the mistakes that they made in the hiring process and how they've become pretty much obsolete. And for many, many decades, including when I was a kid and when, when we were kids, Bo, I'm sure, was the yeah, same thing. Monday sure. Night Football was the night to watch football. I mean, it yes. was it. I, I, I'll, I'll never forget Mondays. We always went over to my grandma's house. She was she lived about 10 minutes away. We'd always go over for dinner and it didn't matter who was playing me, my mom, my dad, my grandma, my grandpa, if aunts or uncles were there, we gathered around the TV and watched Monday night football. Even if it wasn't the Packers playing, which we were all fans of, but my grandma sure. didn't watch football, but she watched Monday night football because it was the entertainment event of the week. And when you heard those voices, you heard Al Michaels and, or you heard John Madden and Pat Summerall, it just gave you those tingles that this was a big event and you should be tuning in no matter what's happening. And Monday Night Football has lost that and NBC uh, has really gained that. And CBS has really gained that with Tony Romo and Jim Nance. And so uh, it's easy to see with the revenues and TV and dollars and, and pro sports going way up that the announcers are going to get a share of that. And let me share a quick story with you. So I've been talking yeah. to my media agents and I had a number of uh, networks kind of reach out and say, Hey, we'd love for you to audition for this color job or this desk job and on the weekends. And, and my uh, one stipulation I gave my agent when I got into this business was I don't want to work on weekends right now because, you know, I got four kids at home and that's when they're off of school and that's when they're doing their stuff and I want to be a part of it. And, you know, I did my thing on the weekends playing in the NFL. I made my money in the NFL. So now this is sort of my really fun hobby that I like to do, but I'm not ready to do weekends yet. And when Tony Romo's deal came out, I sent him a screenshot. And I go, 
Just to be clear, I'll work on weekends <laughs> for seventeen million a year. <laughs> yeah, that's so there's a price for well, everything. You're right, and that changes. I mean, I think that would that gets Peyton Manning's attention if ESPN reported he was going after Manning and Michaels, and NBC yeah. rejected you know the proposed trade for Michaels. I I assume Al had some say in that. Um, so so that and the other thing you said is is spot on, Joe. An announcing crew validates a broadcast. There's no question, and it also validates the the NFL schedule makers. It influenced the NFL schedule makers in terms of who's doing games. If ESPN would have been able to make the move for Al Michaels and paired him with Peyton Manning, the NFL is the type of games that the NFL gives them. It's going to improve. Of course it will. Of course it will. Because do you remember this when when NBC first got the Thursday night games about five or six years ago, and Tarico had just gone there from from ESPN, and the NFL said they were going to have Tarico do the Thursday night games, and Al do just Sunday, and they said NBC and the NFL said no, no, no. Al's doing the games. Al's going to do the games. So that's how important that is um, to, to that end. One last follow-up on this. Joe, I actually preferred the Monday night being the big game. I like the I, – I, by the time – I'm not uh, – what was the – was it Faith with I'm waiting all day for Sunday night? I'm not. I'm smoked by the time I get to <laughs> Sunday night football. Like, yeah. I'm good. I like the big game on Monday. You kind of got all day to hype it. It was something to look forward to on Monday night. I, I – I, I have nothing against NBC. I love their product. Their production's off the charts. Um, but I, I preferred the big game of the weekend being on Monday night. I'm like you that way. Yeah, I, I think uh, especially for a guy like you who's as invested in college football on Saturdays, I can imagine by Sunday night you're pretty well burned out and you need a day of rest here oh. until Monday night comes back around. But I would love to see those Monday night games be the big entertainment event that they used to be um, because I, I love those. I love Thursday night yep. football because it's, it's the only thing on and we have been kind of saving up some excitement during the week. And then the Thursday game pops off and it kind of leads you into the weekend. Um, and then just having one thing to cap the weekend off on a, on a Monday night, kind of maybe got to go back to work on a Monday. You're feeling sort of down in the, in the doldrums and you got a big event to lift you up and it just hasn't been that and I'd love to see a return to that yeah I think Thursday night football has actually supplanted Monday night football as even Monday night football is distant in terms of the most important game of the week Thursday night football has been there have been incredible games uh, yeah. with Thursday night football the last the last few years Monday night football just hasn't had them uh, our guy Baker Mayfield getting a statue at Oklahoma's Heisman Row which I think is a pretty cool thing uh, yeah. to do the ceremony will happen during the Ohio State spring game he joins Billy Vessel Steve Owens Billy Sims Sam Bradford uh, in that in that group Kyler Murray's will be done in 2021 um, the I love this for six it's deserving I always think it, I, I don't know if they have this at Oklahoma or not but I how do, you got to have Leroy Selman in there some place don't you I mean, you have to have mm. – this is always the thing that I have, and I talk about this with the Ohio State folks a lot, because they're, they're – in order to get into their ring of honor at the horseshoe, you have to have won a Heisman. So that's the requirement. Well, in doing so, you leave out Orlando Pace. Mm. So how do you – I think sometimes in college football, and I'm not speaking about this with six, but I'm speaking about in college football, it's like if you're not a skill position player – it's almost impossible to break through with these enormous honors and accolades. 
Yeah, there's no doubt. And it, it is, it's, it's a difficult thing, right? Like, where do you draw the line? Because you want to include all the great players that have ever played for your university. Um, but you also want to make it a, an exclusive group. So it means something for the people that are in there and uh, really happy for Baker to be able to be immortalized with a statue like that. I mean, that's really kind of like the ultimate to be able to maybe someday yeah. take your grandkids back there and point up and say, you recognize that guy? Well, that was me. I wasn't always the one crutching around uh, in my walker, but, I used to be something someday, and uh, that's pretty awesome, but it is a difficult challenge for schools a lot of times to kind of figure out where that deciding line is, especially when you're not a guy that gets to touch a football a lot. Yeah, it is. And, I, I mean, I look at, like, it from the Ohio State perspective, I think guys like John Hicks and Orlando Pace who finished top four, top five in the Heisman as tackles. Um, yeah. You know, like, that's that's an incredible thing. Chase Young this year was a top five Heisman guy as a defensive end. He won every award he was up for. He won every single award he was up for nationally. Like, wh- what more could he do as a defensive player? So, and and he's every bit as great as as some of the some of the guys who have won Heisman's, uh, just because they played. You know, they had the ball in their hands. So it's it's a tricky one going forward. I, I wish they would just find a way to diversify it a little bit, so position players uh, who are not skill position players would have an ability to do it. For six, though, it's awesome. And you think about this, Joe. All he dr- it's interesting, and I, we've talked to him about this on the program. All he dreamed about was playing quarterback at Oklahoma. Hmm. Like it, it wasn't like the dream was. I'm sure in the back of your mind you think, well, if I play quarterback at Oklahoma, I'll get to play in the league. But his dream wasn't to go be the starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. His dream was to be the starting quarterback at Oklahoma. And so then to not be offered a scholarship, to go there as a walk-on, to earn the job, to become what he was, which is one of the most important Oklahoma football players of all time uh, on a very, very short list, and then win the Heisman and then become the number one pick in the draft. To accomplish all of that and have a statue by the age of, what, 25? That's pretty good. That's pretty good <laughs> yeah, way of going. Usually that's like Woody Hayes guys get that who've been in a place for 20 years ago, you know? Right. I mean, pretty amazing to be in your mid-20s and have a statue outside of your alma mater. Uh, usually you have to donate – uh, something with a lot of zeros on the end of it to get a statue or get some recognition around campus. So pretty cool stuff there for him and uh, definitely something he's going to be proud of uh, for the rest of his life. All right, coming up at the top of the hour, something we've talked with Joe about off air and something that Kurt Warner put onto our platter front and center at the NFL Combine last week. Veteran legends helping current players and the lack of interest from current players to receive that mentoring. We will get into that coming up next. You listen to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Jack invites guests 50 or older to our Prime Players Tuesdays every Tuesday in March. Simply swipe at a Jack kiosk from 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. Get your free lottery ticket. Prime player date night food offers gifts. Gives guests 50-year-old an exclusive food offer at our premier Mill Creek Grill restaurant. Prime player Tuesdays every Tuesday in March only at Jack Thistledown Racino. Bo Bishop and the great Joe Thomas here on CBD on a Tuesday. Joe, we have talked to you about the subject that we're going to talk about off-air before. We want to bring it on-air. And what, what got, it, got us thinking about it was a conversation we had with Kurt Warner the Hall of Famer, at the Combine where he put out on Twitter that basically 
he tries to to mentor young quarterbacks, and there is very little interest from your, young quarterbacks for his information. Uh, here's what he had to say. Let's have a listen. A lot of times I'm like, here, just give me your number. I'll reach out so you have access to me at any point in time. But a lot of times I'll tell them, I'm like, but I know you're not going to call. But if you ever want to, and, and you know, and then you have guys go, oh, I'll call. I'll definitely call. You kidding me? They never call. And so I, I can't figure it out either. Um, you know, what it is, why they don't tap into it. Um, now, I shouldn't say nobody. I, I've got, you know, probably 10 quarterbacks, young quarterbacks in the league that I watch tape and send notes to every week during the season and do Jeez. some of that stuff. So, uh, so it's not that nobody's tapping in, but not tapping in as I thought they might tap in is, you know, coming out and working with me for a couple of days or, you know, calling me throughout the week and going, hey, you know, I don't really understand this play. Can you give me a different perspective on this play? Or, hey, I'm dealing with this off the field. You know, let's talk about it. So I just always want to make myself available, but I just want to help these guys be great. And so if there's anything that I can do, and now it's not my job, so I'm not looking to, you know, take on 40 different quarterbacks sure. and spend four months, you know, working with them every day. Um, but sometimes it's just, you know, come in for a couple of days and let's get to know each other. Let's do a little board work. Let's let's talk about film. Let's get on the field a little bit. And maybe there's some nuances that I can help you with. And more importantly, just when there is a time that you need me, you feel comfortable calling me and not going, oh, man. I'm, I'm afraid to look stupid or yeah. or he's too busy that he, he's not going to want to spend any time with me or whatever that is. I just I'm kind of amazed. Joe, your thoughts on what Kurt had to say there? Well, it's interesting that he said that. And uh, I'd love to hear how you guys got into some of that. Um, but I've had similar experiences since I've been uh, out of the league, um, specifically with some of the tackles that have been with the Browns previously. Um, I'd show up for training camp and work with them a little bit and we'd talk and, and I would always put my number up on the board and, and give it to those guys. And I would say, Hey, I want to be a resource. I don't want to be in your way. Occasionally, if I see something, I might text you, but I also don't want to be a bother. Um, but feel free to reach out if you ever have any questions and you know what nobody ever does. And uh, I'm not exactly sure if it's one thing. I think it's maybe a collection of things. And I think uh, Kurt hit on it a little bit where, you know, from a player's standpoint, they might be thinking, oh, that guy, he's so busy. He doesn't really mean yeah. it. You know, he, he doesn't really want to help me. He just wants to be nice. And so they, they don't really reach out and they don't utilize you as a resource. Um, but I think I think part of it, too, is is maybe that uh, as, as a player, you sometimes think you have this tendency to think like, oh, well, it would be really complex to try to describe everything that's going on and to be able to get a detailed uh answer or detailed help from a guy like Kurt, he would really have to spend a lot of time on it and maybe he wouldn't understand it right away. And maybe it's best if I just don't do anything. And so I think some of that fear that kind of builds up from a young player of reaching out to a veteran guy, who's obviously a tremendous player at your position, uh, maybe just causes you to say, well, I'll do it next week or I'll, I'll wait on it. And then you never end up getting around to it where, Kurt, obviously, he's very passionate about trying to help people, and he really wants to do it. And just the same way I am, I, I would love to help guys that I, I talk to throughout the league in any way I can. And maybe I can help, but you know, you'll never know unless you reach out. And uh, I think I don't know. Maybe we could get into uh, the get off my lawn old man type thing, where young guys <laughs> they don't want to have communication and real conversation over the phone anymore. Everybody just texts and and uh, do social media messages. But I don't know. It is, it is 
kind of interesting thing. I, I would think if I was a quarterback and Kurt Warner gave me his number and said, hey, let me help you in any way I could, I would think I would reach out. I don't know about you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so the way reason we got into this is he tweeted it out. He's at the Combine. He said, I give players my name and number, and nobody ever calls me. Um, and, and I'd love to help people. <laughs> now, lovely. so yeah, so the, the one, th- one pushback to Kurt, just from my vantage point, is I think what he wants this is very much, though, on his terms. I think it's um, in terms of them coming to him for a couple of days and doing some board work and that type of thing. I think the surest way to do this were, would be for him to do it with either the Rams or the Cardinals because those are organizations he's played with, is a legend with. Um, it would be very easy to have a formal agreement with the Rams or the Cardinals. I think from an organization standpoint, you don't want mixed messaging. You know, I yeah. think yours is far more straightforward. You have a relationship here with the Browns. You're a Browns legend. You're here all the time. It's very easy for the guys on our team to have conversations with you. They see you. But if, if you're, for example, use Baker, if you're, if, you're the, if you're us and you have Baker Mayfield and Alex Van Pelt is coaching him and wanting him to do certain things, you don't want him, even Kurt Warner, who may have the best intentions, you don't want him yeah. talking to Kurt and Kurt giving him a different message uh, from a young quarterback standpoint. So, Joe, I think the straightest line to this mm-hmm is legends working with their former teams and it's something now that's his situation is different than yours because you're you're working you've done this here with us with the browns and you're a part of the browns family kurt right now from from what we talked to it seems like he's not really a part of either cardinals or rams and maybe that's a part of it yeah i think you're exactly right um there is definitely always going to be fear from a coach's standpoint because the game of football it's not like calculus you know there's only one way to do calculus problems um, to get an answer. But in football, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat. And when it comes to, you know, throwing the football or running this offense, maybe Kurt sees things differently than your coach. And so the last thing that you want as a coach is when you've been working with a guy and you've been molding him 355 days a year to do one thing, to have an expert or a guru come in and say, no, no, screw, screw what your coach told you. This is how you're supposed to do it. And then the, the player kind of feels like he's maybe caught in between, you know, a Hall of Famer with Kurt Warner and doing what his coach says. And so um, I think maybe there's some of the uh, concern on from a player standpoint and from a coach's standpoint of, well, it's best to just not involve him in the process because he could muddy the waters a little bit if he gives me something different than what my coach has already given me as feedback. I think an, another way where this makes a ton of sense is if Kurt wants to do this in the draft process because they have these quarterback gurus uh, or players such as yourself that want to learn and want to give back. Uh, if, if, you know, the Wisconsin offensive lineman, if they want to, if you're willing, like to, do they reach out to you and say, hey, I mean, there's always two or three of those guys are going to go to the league. That's just the way it is. You mentioned the Iowa guys, um, you know, that has a steady diet of Iowa guys on the offensive line that seem to go as well. Um, do, does Wisconsin, do their, do their coaches ever ask you, hey, would you take a look at this? Would you look at that? Um, usually in the spring, during spring ball, I'll go in yeah. for a few practices in Wisconsin and just kind of sit down and I'll watch practice and I'll sit through the meeting rooms. And if there's a few things that I think I can throw in there and kind of help and give a little bit of perspective, I always like to do that a couple couple times a year and just kind of be a little bit of a resource at times not only for the players but for the coach because you know a lot of times when you're coaching college kids you're kind of coaching not to uh, demean college football but the techniques and the schemes are just not as complex as in the NFL and a lot of times you're taking high school kids and you're just trying to teach them the basics and so um, sometimes as a guy with NFL experience I can give them 
a few tips that maybe they hadn't thought about recently that might be able to help their guys understand things a little bit differently or maybe take their game to the next level. But um, one thing that I have gotten a lot of satisfaction in helping guys is especially offensive linemen in Wisconsin when they are considering like, okay, should I come out for the draft? Should I stay and go back to school? Is just kind of giving them some perspective on, you know, what the draft process is like, what the combine is like, what uh, draft day is like, what mini camps are like, what a first year in the NFL could be like to kind of give them some perspective so that they can make the best decisions for themselves on whether they should go to the NFL draft or they should come back for maybe a senior season. And um, I feel good about that to try to help inform the kids to make the best decision for themselves. And and I think, you know, I, I'm not privy to any sort of conversations you've had with the organization, Joe, but, <laughs> um, but I would think with the idea of us drafting a tackle uh, and pr- more likely than not a left tackle at number 10 overall uh, that, that we would lean heavy on you. And that, that especially is that that's probably going to be a kid who's going to have to play right away. Uh, that's the way that that site, site you know, you're going to have to step in and play left tackle in the NFL right away. I think that's where we're trending at this point. Yeah. Um, and, and that you would ha- your level of expertise at that is as good as anybody in the world and that you would lean on that. And then you hope that the kid is open to that. Right. I mean, that would seem to be. And so I, that, as we bring it back to, to Kurt, um, you know, that I think to me, he if, if either the Cardinals or Rams would be the way to do that. That'd be the straightest line um, because you're here. We see you. You you're going to be here. Uh, you know, next season you, you come. You're here quite a bit, and and you stop in. And there's going to be a left tackle who was drafted tenth overall that you're going to be able to have conversations with and get pointers to. And that you can't put a price on that. How valuable yeah. that is for the organization. How valuable that is for the kid. Yeah, that's one thing I'm I'm excited for. I always make sure we we uh, have a tradition here that we've kind of started, and we come back to Cleveland during training camp, and you know we'll usually rent the house in the area and. Uh, come out to training camp for eight or nine days. And I really enjoyed that. My kids really like that because it kind of keeps us connected to the Cleveland area. We go see all their friends and their buddies and we go hit all their favorite restaurants and mommy and daddy's favorite restaurants. Too, of course. But, <laughs> um, I, I would like to, you know, kind of continue that from my own standpoint because I do like sort of being involved and uh, helping coach kids a little bit. And uh, it, it is especially exciting going into this season because we'll probably have maybe one rookie possibly two rookie offensive tackles drafted pretty high in the draft. And maybe even if I'm not saying anything different than the coach is saying, just I think sometimes hearing it from a former player who's had some success that can resonate and maybe stick with you as a player a little bit longer, uh, especially if you've been kind of hearing your coach's voice drone on and on and on in training camp (laughs) and and meetings wherever you kind of tune them out after a while, but all of a sudden a new face comes in who maybe you have a lot of respect for. I remember when I was uh, a a player, um, Anthony Munoz came in um, and uh, I'm trying to remember the offensive center from the bears that came in and uh, he worked with us. And it was really awesome um, because even though they're not telling you anything different, they're just kind of reinforcing the things that the coaches said. And it just kind of gives you some new life and new energy. And it's pretty awesome, especially in training camp when it can be a little bit of uh, the doldrums and the the dog days of training camp can wear on you mentally. Olin Kurtz, isn't it? Olin Kurtz, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, Kurtz, yeah. The name wasn't on my tongue, but another great offensive center. And it was great hearing from him, Great, great having him around and throwing his two cents in every now and then. So I wonder who organized that, Joe, that got – I mean, Munoz is one of the best to ever play the game. 
Um, I wonder who got that done to bring those guys in. That's a really cool mentoring thing yeah. that the, that the yeah. NFL does. You know, It was interesting. It was actually Bob Wiley. He was uh, the offensive line okay. coach that season, and he had I think he worked with Munoz when they were in Cincinnati together, and so they had a good relationship. And then Bob worked with Olin Krutz when he was in Chicago. And then actually now the, the assistant offensive line coach, Scotty Peters, who was hired, he was the third former player that Bob had brought in for that week of training camp uh, at the time to work with us. And uh, so it was really cool getting a chance to meet all those guys. You know, Munoz is a guy that I I didn't remember watching him play per se, but I knew of him and I knew of his greatness and seeing some of the highlights and stuff. So to be able to have him on the field and kind of giving you feedback right away was pretty neat. Yeah, absolutely is. It's it's a it's a cool thing, and you you know anytime you can rely on that expertise, uh, I think the the brotherhood of the NFL and relying on that it makes guys better and better. And the fact that we have you as a resource uh, where we're going to be dealing with with new offensive tackles and certainly new left tackle uh, this season is is just it's, you can't put a value on it. It's too much. Uh, coming up next, we go Ask Joe segment. They'll tweet us your questions for Joe uh, with hashtag Ask Joe. We get you that coming up next. You'll listen to Cleveland Browns Daily on eight fifty ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Bo Bishop, Joe Thomas on a Tuesday edition of the program. Pretty cool to see the um, the outpouring for Christian Kirksey um, and some of his responses on social media right now on Twitter. Uh, Talking about it, uh, Shane Wynn tweeted a heartbroken, and Kirko tweeted back, "Heartful, bro, had one hell of a run in Cleveland." Uh, this is the this is the realities of our sport, right, Joe? Um, that that not everything lasts forever. Very few get to go out the way you did on your terms, um, and even that injury obviously contributed. Um, but but for the most part, it, you have very little control over it uh, of, of when it's done. Absolutely, there's very very few players, even the greats in the game, that really get to go out on their own terms and decide when they've had enough. Um, and so a tough day for fans of Christian Kirksey, like myself, a lot of yeah. players and, and guys that have played with him just have an enormous amount of respect for him. Just not only the, the way that he played on the field, but just the way he went about his business, the way he was a great leader and a great teammate. Um, I think guys that have played with him that are going to continue to play for the Browns, Hopefully they've learned a lot from him, not necessarily just the X's and O's on the field, although he was great at that, but just the way you handle yourself, the way you become iconic in a franchise. I mean, you, you go around that building in Berea, I guarantee everybody has a great story and a great memory of Christian Kirksey's time as a Cleveland Brown, because he just treated everybody in that building with such a great amount of respect And I think that's what you find out the longer you're in this business and the more you get an opportunity to rub elbows with some of the greats that played this game, I would say overwhelmingly they're great people and the people that are around them, they take care of all those people around them. And they've, they've set this uh, great stage for all the people that are around them that are helping them because they want those support people. They want them to succeed. And that's what Kirksey had because he was such a great person and uh, would love to see a lot of guys in that locker room fall in, in his footsteps. Joe, he's a pro is what he Pro's is, pro, right? No doubt. 
He's a pro. I mean, that's the difference. I, I, I'll share this just with the with the audience, and you know this. But um, so we uh, here in the building, we all eat lunch and and breakfast. And it, a lot of times, it happens where it, it crosses over, where players are in there and general staffs in there, and it's you're all part of the Browns family. It's kind of the way that it is. And um, I, I call up. There's some guys who are head down guys, players who are, and I don't blame them. Like you know, get your get your food. Keep their head down. Don't make eye contact. I don't want to say hello to everybody. And then there's other guys who are heads up guys. And I'm not saying one's right and one's wrong. Kirko's a heads up guy. So Kirko, when he walks into the cafe or when he walks around the building, his head was up. His He was eye contact with everybody and a smile on his face. That's yeah, just who he was. That was who he was. He was the guy that brightened the room. Didn't matter what the record yeah. was. And, um, you know, being my teammate through the 1-15 and, and the 0-16 he was a guy that would brighten my day because, you know, they weren't always great days when you walked in the building and you were staring down 0-10 or 0-11. Um, but to have a guy with the optimism and the energy and the enthusiasm in the face of insurmountable odds and, and difficult circumstances is tough. But it's extremely valuable, and that's the guy who Kirko was. He always put a smile on your face when you walked in the meeting room and you saw him or you walked out on that field and you saw him giving a fiery speech in the locker room or on the field or dancing pregame, postgame, during the game. He just brought that energy. And, you know, I don't want to talk about him like he's dead or anything, but, you know, his time as no. a Cleveland Brown is over. And I think it's important for fans out there to understand, like, what he meant to the men in, in that locker room and uh, the energy that he brought on a daily basis. And like I said, I, I said it a couple times, I hope, hopefully – he planted that seed in a lot of guys. They saw what he did and what he stood for, and they understand what being a professional is because they were able to work with Kirko. No question. Let's do a little Ask Joe. This from Chad. He said, if you're the Browns general manager, Andrew Barry, would you, start a, would you rather start a rookie left tackle or a guy who's a free agent? I guess it depends on who it is because there's been a Who's few better? names that have been bounced around who would uh, be a pretty nice upgrade at left tackle. Um, but I think if I'm starting a rookie, I feel okay because I've got a guy by the name of Joel Batonio. That's that left guard. And I know that that left tackle, all he's got to worry about is his technique because Joel's going to tell him what to do on every single play. And he's going to be a great leader. He's going to be a guy that will make sure that you know what the calls are, what the defense is coming, and he's going to tell you where to go. So having that security blanket like a Joel Batonio is it. You cannot measure how important that is for a rookie at left tackle like that. So um, I wouldn't be concerned whatsoever starting a rookie out there next to Joel. Yeah, Joe, it feels like the logical thing would be right tackle and free agency attempt to do that. I mean, we've been linked to Conklin by various reports um, and then draft left tackle number 10 overall like that would be it and I, yeah. you make a fantastic point with uh you know with joel right next to you i mean that what an anchor to have that guy standing next to you yeah oh absolutely and I, and I think like you said the dream situation is you're able to get the guy you want at left tackle with number 10 and then he's your your guy for another decade plus and you're able to sign a player uh, like a jack conklin who's the number one right tackle in the game um, that would solidify those two needs by spending a little bit of money and spending draft capital, but you still have enough left over to be able to fill some of the other holes. Uh, and you could feel really, really good about that offensive line, giving Baker the type of protection he's going to need to be able to develop into that franchise quarterback that we know he can be. And this from Jaco, which kind of pickle, you know, 
piggybacks off of that, which position makes the most sense to target in the second round with that pick? Ooh, that's a good question. I haven't thought that far. What do you think? <laughs> well, I think it's. I think I'll tell you what it does is. I mean, I think of the name like Grant Delpit, the safety out of LSU, and I think about Greedy Williams, who fell a year ago, who many projected as a top fifteen pick and fell. And there's been a lot of negative stuff written about Delpit this year that he wasn't quite as good. It's honestly, it seems like. Uh, an absolute mirror of what we heard from Greedy a year ago where he wasn't the same tackler he was the year before. Same thing has been said about Delpit. I think if you could get a safety there in the second round, I mean, I think it's very clear, Joe, you're looking, you looking safety with your set. You're going to take tackle in the first. In the second, you're looking safety. Now linebacker. If a great linebacker drops, you're now talking linebacker. That's a young room. You're going to get some veterans there, certainly, but you got to get bodies. And then the other thing to look at would be weak side defensive end opposite miles that mm-hmm. that would be if somebody falls the opportunity there but my first inclination would yeah. be safety yeah the, once you get into the second round it becomes a much more of a value proposition because you're looking all right yeah. who are the guys that maybe we had ranked in the top 15 that now have fallen into the second round that we feel like Maybe it's not our greatest position of need, but being able to pick this player, we feel really good that he's going to be a really long-term starter for us, and he's going to do a great job, potentially could be a Pro Bowl guy, and you don't want to miss that opportunity, right? Uh, Almost like the Mac Wilson last year where you're like, wow, I can't believe he's still here. You've got to take him. It doesn't matter where your needs are. Um, And so looking into the second round, you know, if you're able to see a guy fall – that also matches with your needs. That's kind of the ideal situation. Um, and here's a guy being a Wisconsin fan, Zach Bond. He's an inside outside linebacker um, that potentially could be a good fit uh, for the Browns. He's a, he's a guy that has a lot of those leadership characteristics that you want. I know he's going to be a rookie, but um, if you're able to put a guy like that in there and he can fit into that mold of playing the type of linebacker that you want. He could definitely be a good pick there, but you also might see a guy like a Joshua Jones. He's an offensive tackle from Houston. Who's got really good technique. He's very smooth, very athletic. Uh, and depending on how free agency and maybe number 10 goes, you could say like, Oh, all of a sudden he's dropped, pick him up. Now you can <clears throat> fill him in at one of the other four spots on the offensive line. Um, and, you know, you, you have some flexibility, which is what you want when you're putting together a roster and you're putting together a starting five on the offensive line, which is one of the great parts about picking an offensive lineman. Yeah, he may have been a tackle in college, or you may need a right guard, but basically when you're picking a big body that's a good athlete that can move, you can kind of move them all up and down the line of scrimmage. The hardest position to go to is being a center because you got to snap the football. But um, for the most part, if you're going to draft a lineman in the second round who's a versatile guy, you should have no problem being able to develop him at any one of those positions. Joe, I'm glad you brought up Zach Bond because it, I was just last weekend I was talking to uh, a buddy of mine in the Ohio State staff, um, and he said that outside of their guys – the player that he thought was most prepared in the Big Ten to be an mm. instant impact in the NFL was Zach Bond, mm. that he was the one of all the mm. guys in the Big Ten. Now think about it, Big Ten's got guys. Lots they got of guys. <laughs> they, a lot they of guys. Right. They, they play yeah. a little football there. They do. There's a lot of first-round projected uh, coming out of that league, but he said outside of their guys, the Ohio State guys, the kid that he was most impressed with in all the Big Ten last year was Zach Bond that he thought would be immediate impact in the NFL. So um, that's, that's, uh, that's starting to be something that's getting a little bit of momentum. This from Jeff. What would it take for the Browns not to use their first-round pick on an offensive tackle? Is there any scenario? Hmm. 
You know, the crazy thing about the draft is there's a gazillion scenarios that can play up. I would think that potentially if there was a quarterback on the board at number 10, the Browns would not take a quarterback, but there might be somebody that would want to trade up and maybe flip-flop draft choices to move up to be able to get that guy. So. I'm, I'm not saying that Burrow is going to slide, but if you have um, maybe one of the other quarterbacks that somebody really likes, uh, maybe a Herbert's up there or something like that, and you get an opportunity to slide back, but you know that maybe one of those other guys that you really want is still available, like an Isaiah Simmons for some reason, if he kind of slides. It's, it's all about who slides and where you value them. Uh, I could see them maybe thinking like, okay, we can drop back, get a tremendous talent with the next pick because our offensive tackle we wanted already is off the board. Um, You know, there's so many scenarios. It's hard to talk about them each individually, but let's just pretend like the guy that they really love is, uh, is Jedrick Wills or let's say Andrew Thomas, the great Andrew Thomas. He's got a great last name. Let's say that was their guy, right? And they (laughs) didn't have those other guys uh, or maybe they had two guys draft that, that were drafted before him and he got picked and they don't have a guy that they love at number 10. They could slide back into the second half of the first round, still get one of their guys that they feel can be a starter at offensive tackle, but get another pick and then use that other pick on somebody else that they like. So the, the possibilities of trades and depending on who slides can get pretty numerous. Um, but I would say the only reason that they wouldn't take a tackle at that position is if a, somebody wanted to trade with them or B, the few guys that they really targeted with that 10th pick are not available. So they maybe go with somebody else and then hope to pick up an offensive lineman later in the draft, because it is a very offensive line rich draft. I think the only, you hit on it. I think the only scenario where it's not a tackle at 10 is if somehow all four of them go in the top 10 before you pick in the first nine, if all four of them go, which then, then what that, that would do is that would land, Isaiah Simmons or Jeff Akuda at 10, at which point getting that elite of an athlete at number 10, um, you just couldn't pass that up and you'd have to, you know, figure out tackle another way. I mean, I think that's kind of the only scenario I see, buddy, uh, where it's not tackle is if one of those bluest of blue, like somehow some absurd reason Chase Young falls to 10, like you just Mm -hmm. take him and you deal with it. You've you've sorted out down the road, like such a transitional or transcendent talent. And that's the crazy thing about the draft is there's so many iterations of what can happen. And when you're sitting there, you know, if you're sitting there at one or two, you basically kind of know what you're going to get. But when you're sitting there at 10, you're saying there's a possibility that a guy that we have ranked number one or two on our board for some crazy reason, like you mentioned, like a Chase Young or a Jeff Akuda just fall. And all of a sudden they're sitting there and you're going, oh, I have a chance to take a Hall of Fame guy right now at 10 that we didn't expect. You've got to take that. And then you're going to say, you know what, we're going to figure out the tackle position a little bit later in the draft. And maybe what that means is if, like, <laughs> here we go, uh, spitballing, but let's say that Akuda does fall and you had him ranked as a number two guy and you're going to go, got to take him. So you take him at 10, then you use the second pick and you bundle it with a fifth pick, 
the fifth round pick or the uh, maybe a, a fourth round pick, and you can move up from the second round back into the first round. And there's going to be some offensive linemen that you really like. Yeah. So you're kind of rolling the dice that, all right, maybe the fifth tackle on our board we still think can be a good starter for us for a long time. We probably think he's going to be available at 30, so we'll be able to package our picks together, trade back into that first round, and maybe get him. And then all of a sudden, now you're sitting and you got a two-for-one, right? you got – maybe the second guy on your board overall, and you got a really quality offensive lineman that you feel will just make your team overall a lot better than if you would have drafted a guy at 10 that maybe you didn't love as much and then drafted whoever falls to you in the second round. So there's a million different things that could happen, um, but I, I definitely still think the odds are in favor that the Browns take an offensive lineman at number 10 and an offensive, line, offensive tackle specifically. Last one from Dave. He wants to know why his sous vide chicken breast has a raw, rubbery texture after cooking it for two hours at 145.5. Uh, because you're cooking it too cold. You need to cook chicken at 160. <laughs> 145. Have you ever done chicken that cool? I mean, that that's no, like a, I don't think that's a pink pink inside on the chicken, which I have eaten raw chicken, believe it or not. And uh, this is on purpose. Not recommended. I, it was on purpose. So. My wife and I took a trip over to Asia when we were right before we had kids. It was kind of like the farewell of fun before we started having kids trip. And we visited um, some friends in Hong Kong and we did four days in Tokyo. And the first morning we were there, we signed up for a sushi breakfast, which uh, at the time I wasn't as adventurous of an eater, but we promised each other. We said, we got to try one of everything that's on the plate. So they gave us like 30 different things. And the two worst items were the sushi, the chicken sushi was, was bad. Uh, I wouldn't yeah. recommend that. And okay. there was a sea urchin roe, which is the eggs of the sea urchin that you eat raw. I didn't like that so much. Uh, that was a, a no thank you bite. And then we put it, put the rest of it down. So you were eating sushi chicken, my friend, if you were cooking chicken at 145. I highly recommend a 160 to 165 temp on the sous vide chicken. Uh, no matter what cut of chicken you're cooking there, whether it's a leg, a thigh, or a breast. Yeah, I, I, I would be in the – I'm probably in the 150 range for the chicken, but then I finish it on the grill two yeah. minutes on each side at 500, and then yeah, that yeah. sorts it right out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think you got to get – now, I've seen people at the 148 too, but then I always – got to finish it is yeah. the deal. I mean, you, He's you know, probably not that finishing it the right way, either like on a right. hot grill. I would say if you're going to do a hot grill where – the the heat of the grill 500 600 degrees in right. that space is going to raise that internal temperature very quickly um but what i actually like to do with chicken is i'll take um my chicken breast let's say i'll do 160 for like three hours and then i'll take it and i'll put it in the fridge so it kind of cools everything off and then i'll mm -hmm. do it and i'll finish it in cast iron well i'll get two cast irons super hot and i'll put a little bit of oil in the bottom of one of them put the chicken breast in the oil, in the cast iron, and then I'll take the other cast iron that's been heating up and I'll rest it right on top. So you're actually kind of flattening it and you're cooking kind of both oh, sides yeah. really quickly. And because it's been refrigerated and the internal temperature is like 40 degrees, you keep that really good moisture and you don't affect the texture very much as you're searing both sides. And, and then when you're searing both sides, it's kind of elevated the internal temperature. So it's a nice, maybe let's say 140 on the inside by the time you pull it off. And you, you cut it up. So that's kind of my little chicken hack right there is make sure you throw it in the fridge before you uh, finish her off. I like that. I'm going to talk to little Joe about that tonight. I think we're going to do yeah, some baby. chicken tonight. He's got some work to do tonight. Uh, all right. Coming up next, we do a little fact or fiction. Gibbe to administer 
Cleveland Browns Daily, 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Folks, my wife's family's in the furniture business for 97 years. We talk furniture. It's in my wheelhouse, certainly. Took notice of Alex and what he was doing at Northeast Factory Direct immediately. He started this thing 20 years ago in his basement. Helped people save a ton of money along the way on high-quality name-brand furniture. That matters. Top-notch kitchen cabinets, countertops, expanded in recent years to industry-leading hot tubs and more. And he is so confident that his model, which allowed him to offer the lowest prices for years now, 20 years, two decades, he's now offering a one-year best price guarantee. That's right. I've been saying Northeast prices can't be beat, and now it is guaranteed. If you buy furniture from Northeast and within one year you find it advertised for less, Alex is going to refund you the difference. Folks, this is no gimmick. There are some terms and conditions, so ask at Northeast Factory Direct for details, or you can find the policy at northeastfactorydirect.com. It is as simple as that. It is at that type of value, and the value goes to you. West 140th Street in Cleveland, Lakeland Boulevard in Euclid, Freeway Drive in Macedonia. Check them out or online anytime at northeastfactorydirect.com. Time for a little fact or fiction with Gibbe. Facts or fiction. Ooh, right wow. off the bat there. Hit it. Getting right into it. Well, we're, we're a little short on time, so we'll get through this today, guys. A little fact or fiction. Free agent draft edition. Next mm. to offensive line, the biggest need for the Browns this offseason is that linebacker. Fact or fiction, Joe Thomas, we will start with you. I'm going to say fact. I love this guy from Clemson. He's one of those linebackers that can do everything and He's 6'4", 240 pounds, so he can bring the wood. He's got that old-school mentality where he can hit people, but he can also run. So when you're talking about just who is the best at doing their job in this draft, it's got to be Isaiah Simmons, although he's not going to be the highest on most people's draft board because the value at linebacker just isn't like it is at quarterback or at pass rusher or even at cornerback like a Jeff Okuda. So um, I don't think he'll be number one on people's board because of the value of his position. But when you're talking about who does their position the best, it's Isaiah Simmons. I'm going to go. I, I would love Simmons. And he actually would solve. I'm going to say fiction because I think the biggest position of need behind offensive tackle is safety where really Sheldrick Redwine is the only one. I mean, I, I feel like I can trust Mac Wilson. Um, so at least one of those positions is sorted out. I, I think that I don't think you'd want. I think you want Sheldrick to be the third safety, not the one or the two. So I think safety's number one. And Joe, frankly, Isaiah Simmons can play that position too. So you, if he's available at ten, <laughs> he can run he can play like outside it. linebacker. He can run with a slot receiver. Can cover tight ends. He can play safety too. Uh, so he would kind of fix both of those needs. But I, I think they have got to be very aggressive in the safety market. Next fact or fiction. Four offensive linemen will be drafted in this year's top ten of the NFL draft. Bishop, you start it. I know that this is the trend right now because everybody's buzzing coming off of the combine and the workouts that Becton and Wirfs put in. But I think as we get closer, and I think the bill of health yesterday from Tua Tungavailoa only pushes that narrative further, that what will more than likely happen is there will be a run on quarterbacks in the top ten, which will then take four offensive tackles out of the mix. I think there will be three. I think we'll pick the third offensive tackle, maybe the second, but I do not think we will take the fourth offensive tackle at number ten, so I will say fiction. Mm, Bo, very convincing argument. I'm going to also agree fiction because – 
teams sometimes when there is a lot of guys available at a position, they, the runs don't happen quite as quickly. Uh, and so, I, like like you mentioned, I think there's going to be a few players at different positions sort of drafted in that top ten. Then there's going to be the quarterbacks with the quarterback needy team, which is always the biggest uh, need for most of those teams at the top of the draft. And I think uh, top 15 for offensive linemen, no doubt. Top 10, it's going to be a little bit of stretch, but I think the Browns will be able to get one of their top three guys at that number 10 spot uh, at offensive tackle. Next. Fact or fiction. All right, we talked offensive linemen. Three quarterbacks will be drafted in the top 10 in this year's draft. Joe Thomas, we start with you. Um, I'm going to say fiction. I think uh, there's going to be two. So you've got Burrow and Tua. And then I'm not sure you're going to get another uh, quarterback drafted in that top 10 because um, the next guy who is Herbert, um, I don't think teams see him as a top 10 guy. And he's not a, a guy that people are going to trade up to go grab. So I think he'll be in that 10 to 20 somewhere in that range. Well, my entire soliloquy I just gave on the tackles would be disingenuous if I said anything other than fact. <laughs> so, so fact, there will be three quarterbacks taken. I think Tua could go two or three because I think he'll throw well, and, and I think that will impress and someone will race up to get him. Because if Burrow wouldn't have had the year that he had, Tua would have been the number one pick in this draft. It wouldn't have been close. Um, and I think Herbert or Jordan Love, one of the others, could potentially go to L.A., the Chargers, I think pick six. Uh, or you could see maybe Carolina. You don't know what they're going to do with Cam Newton. You could see somebody trade up to get one of them. I think there will be three quarterbacks in the top ten. Next. So. Fact or fiction. All right, let's talk a little free agency and fact or fiction on this Tuesday. A.J. Green will still be a Bengal in 2020. Bishop? 100% fact, because we were told this, that they're going to franchise him. Mm. So, you know, he doesn't want to be franchised. He wants a long-term deal. He said... I don't know what his interest in playing in Cincinnati, but they say they're going to franchise him, so he's not going to have a choice. Hard to Are argue sure? that one. That's hard to argue that one. So our, that's what the who is our Bengals guy we had on Gibby Hobson. Hobson said it's done franchising him. I don't it know. Like the franchise tag is going away with this latest CBA. It doesn't look like it's really going to change at all, and I don't think it's going to affect it. And the franchise tag is still the most powerful way to keep your star player even if he wants to go somewhere else, or maybe you don't want to sign him to a market value deal, but the Bengals are going to free, uh, franchise him, and I don't see anybody tr- signing and trading uh, with A.J. Green and the Bengals. Next. Facts or fiction. All right, we'll take a look at another AFC North team. The Steelers will be players for a quarterback in this year's free agency class. Some rumors coming out yesterday Maybe Jameis Winston uh, and a little interest from the people just to the east of us. Bo Bishop? Oh, I, it's fact. I do not want them getting Jameis. I don't want that. No, I don't, I don't want him going to that. that. I don't want that stability. I still believe in his arm. I know he throws a lot of picks, but I think it's fact. I, I don't think with Ben's injury history, his age coming off of Tommy John playing football, uh, the physicality of it, the injuries that occur, I do not think that they, they spent, they invested in that defense, Joe, to the level that they did. I do not think that they will put their season again in the hands of Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. They will have a backup plan. You know, I, I just don't think that they're going to be very active at quarterback in the free agency class. I, I, I don't see them wanting one of those guys because you're going to have to pay a lot to get one that 
you can really be excited about. And I would be more, I would lean more towards them hoping that Ben can come back and then maybe drafting somebody a little bit higher in the, in the draft and still giving Ben all the opportunity to possibly succeed and, and take that position moving forward for at least this season. All right, we're going to skip ahead. Final one, Sal. Facts or fiction? This is the one that everybody wants to know. Tom Brady will be a New England Patriot when the 2020 season starts. Joe Thomas, the floor is yours. That's fiction. Tom Brady is going to be a Los Angeles Charger when the 2020 season starts. I've been talking about it all year, and to me, if – Tom and New England wanted to get something done. They would have already done it. And there's enough teams out there that can put together a very impressive free agency recruiting trip, let's say, uh, a la what happened with Peyton Manning when he was coming off of the neck injury and he ended up in Denver. And I think somebody will persuade Denver or somebody will persuade Tom Brady that time is now to move on from New England and prove that, yes, he is the greatest of all time. And yes, he could do it without Bill Belichick. Well, again, I've got to double down on my previous stand on this point, so I could be either digging a bigger hole or look like a genius. I think this whole thing is playing into the documentary part of it. I think he's filmed this whole thing. He's going to put it out, and I think he's going to finish in New England what he started on a two-year deal, and Kraft will make it work, uh, and they'll sort all those things out. I think a lot of this is for drama. I think Vegas knows, and he's been they've been the favorite to resign him now for a couple of weeks by a pretty wide margin. Um, I, I, I think that's where it stays. I think Brady ends up uh, back in New England. All right, good job out of you, Gibby. Final segment up next, including a statement from Governor DeWine that is quite impactful in respect to uh, Ohio and our uh, reaction to the coronavirus outbreak. Here we get into that coming up next. CBD 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Yep. Bo Bishop, the future Hall of well, current Hall of Famer, Joe Thomas. Uh, final segment here on CBD. This is for the governor uh, of Ohio, Mike DeWine, here in the last 15 minutes. Uh, his recommendation, now folks, just a recommendation, is for indoor events. We're asking for no events with spectators other than athletes, parents, and other essentials to the game. Uh, he says right now outdoor events can continue. Again, this is a recommendation. So, of course, the MAC tournament here in Cleveland uh, starts tomorrow on the women's side. And then next week, uh, the NCAA tournament slated to be here in Cleveland. Uh, Dayton hosts the first four. Uh, there's professional basketball and hockey that is going on as well. Uh, and this is the governor. So this is, uh, as we said, Joe, when we talked about this earlier, this is escalating very quickly. Yeah, this is definitely a changing situation. And we could see enormous amount of cancellations and adjustments here in the next week or two or maybe even the next few days. Or we could see the number of coronaviruses going way down and all of a sudden it's back right. to life as normal. So really, this is a fluid situation that's changing by the hour. Yeah, this is a um, – and again, on the NCAA front, guys, just to clarify, I was talking to Gibby about this, and this was my understanding as well, that it, it's actually not like – Rocket Mortgage, it's not It's not Cleveland or Rocket Mortgage's decision. It will be the NCAA's decision. You basically hand the building to them, uh, and they will decide. So, again, it's a recommendation for the governor. It's not a ruling, um, but obviously things heading with a certain trajectory on all of this front. Joe, it, it is always spectacular doing a couple hours with you, my friend. I hope to, to hope to hear from you again soon. If not, enjoy Ireland, and we'll talk soon, my friend. I appreciate it, Bo. It's always great being on with you, man. It's a great honor. 
Oh, but it's all on this side of the mic. Uh, the next level guys will have much more on all of this coming up next. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, a production of the Cleveland Browns and ESPN 850 WKNR.